So let's get into this. We have seen that the heart acts like the mind, the will, and the emotions, and this is critical because it proves that our heart and our spirit are not the same thing. That is important for many in our circles to comprehend because we were taught for 50 years or so the heart and the spirit are the same thing. That is biblically wrong, biblically impossible, because we can have an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God and yet be born again in our spirit. So you have to be able to rectify that. We spent six lessons showing that to be uh, a fallacy, an error in doctrine. We've also readily proven that we possess the ability to control our thoughts. That must be done on a daily basis, if not a moment-to-moment basis. We've seen that we can control our wants, and you must control your wants. And I think what was perhaps maybe more eye-opening or a little bit more challenging for us as Americans is the biblical fact that we can and must control our emotions. You can get a hold of yourself. You can get a hold of yourself because if you don't get a hold of yourself, something else will. Furthermore, God's word commands us what to think and keep on thinking and what to, uh, what to want and keep wanting and how to use our emotions biblically. The Bible doesn't just tell us to control these things. It also teaches us what we are to think, what we are to want, what we are to emote. And not just what we are to emote, but when we are to emote it and how we are to emote it. This is so foreign to most Christians because we are mostly Americanized in this nation. And we, we've been taught our doctrine is probably based more on culture than it really is the Bible. So we need to make sure that we are staying focused on the Word of God and we're purging our mind and our will and our emotions on a regular basis. These disciplines shape the nature of our heart so that when it is pressed, it thinks, wants, and emotes the right thing. And that's the key. Uh, you're... We were taught back in college, our, our soul, our entity, is like a coffee cup. What comes out when it's shaken is what was truly in it to begin with. And you can't say, I didn't mean that. No, you did. It came out of you. So you may not have meant it with the deepest recesses of your heart, but it's enough in there to come out. Like, if you shake me, I'm not going to cuss in Swahili because it's not in me. But an American word might come out, and I just have to say, should it ever happen, Lord, it's still in me somewhere. Amen? You know, someone over in Tibet is not going to flip someone the bird. It's not in them. Something else is in them, and it will come out. So we sometimes try to give ourselves a little backdoor escape. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. If it came out of you, it was in you. Deal with it. So this brings us to the next subject concerning the heart, and that is its voice. We need to make sure that when we're pressed, we say the right thing, act the right way, do the right thing. But the heart, the voice of our heart will tell us what's really in there. It's almost like a window into how we're not behaving because we're smart enough not to say what we're always thinking. And you got to be honest to be able to recognize, all right, it's in my heart. I need to deal with it. Well, I was thinking it, but I just didn't say it. Well, you're still guilty of it. Remember, Jesus Christ said, he raised the ante very high. If you think in your heart to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. If you think in your heart to lust after her. So even that lusting after another woman, that's a voice of the heart where you look at her and you say, ooh la la, if I would, I could, and I'd go after her. You're already guilty of it. All right. Whereas our mind can have thoughts that did not originate from within, those would be fiery darts, And our volition can have desires that did not originate from within. Those would be strange lusts. I was uh, in an outdoor, um, a sporting goods store, 
eight years ago getting ready to go on a trip to Africa, and I walked past uh, a little video screen near the shoes. I was going to go see what shoes they had, and they had one of those high-octane, frenetic videos promoting shoes and a whole bunch of really athletic people doing fun stuff. And at one point, the camera slowed down, and there was this young athletic guy with tattoos everywhere, and he had a spiderweb tattoo on his elbow. And I remember looking at that and this thing washing over me. And all I can explain it or describe it as is a thing. And all of a sudden, I instantly had a want to get a spiderweb tattoo on my elbow. It was so consuming the thing physically bumped into me and I stumbled forward and I went, whoa, that's a really cool tattoo. I really want one of those. And then, then it's like all my training kicked in and I went, sure. I hear, I turned around and I said, I hear you. I hear you. And I curse you to hell. I'm a gospel minister. I preach against tattoos and I'm going to Africa in a couple weeks. I'm not getting some stupid tattoo. Right. That, that want came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I almost wonder, as spooky as it may sound, if there isn't some kind of demon just assigned to those kind of things to get ignorant Christians to pierce and tattoo themselves to look worldly and be false advertisements for God. So that's a, just a weird desire that came out of nowhere. That's why we don't hasten on any of our wants too quickly. Advertisement agencies have learned to use this to their advantage, to their enriching in our poverty. All right, then the voice of our heart... Um, Excuse me. And then there are emotions that can flare up um, that did not originate from within. That's like sudden fear. The voice of the heart does come from within us. So there are some thoughts that are not from within. There are some wants that are not from within. And our emotions sometimes come up and they're not from within. They're just sudden fear like a panic attack. You're not a fearful person, but all of a sudden you find yourself in a panic attack or rage. You're not an angry striker. But this is all different than the voice of the heart. Because the voice of the heart is the real you. Now again, the born-again spirit you, that's the real you. We get that. That's the part seated in heavenly places. But the part of you that's seated in heavenly places doesn't think, I sure would like to have sex with that. The part of you, the real you that's seated in heavenly places doesn't say, if I could punch them in the face and get away with it, I sure would. I just think they're the stupidest person ever. I don't know why a pastor even uses them. That's not the part of you seated in heavenly places. That's the real heart. So we have to focus in on this concept that there, your heart has a voice, and that's really the essence of who you are. That's the hidden man of the heart. That's the part of you that you don't let out except when you're at home with the one you claim you love because they, they're stuck with you. But you know if you acted that way around us, we would probably punch you in the face and say, deal with that. <laughs> Amen. Our heart's voice reveals its content. The heart will speak with its voice, thoughts, reasons, wants, and emotions. The, the voice of our heart is going to be these thoughts and these wants and these emotions. We must learn to hear the voice of our heart so we can judge it and change it when necessary. Our heart has something to say about almost anything and everything. And even when it doesn't have something to say, that silence is still something. Even when you, if you're on a train and you hear people speaking in a different dialect, you don't understand it, but your heart is saying, I don't understand what they're saying. I wonder where they're from. That's still the voice of your heart. The following verses are examples of God, Satan, believers, and unbelievers saying things in their heart. These scriptures give insight to the mechanics of this concept. So this is, this is the emphasis of this lesson. I want us to begin to recognize our heart has a voice, and the more we can tune into it, we can really fix what's wrong with us. 
In fact, just yesterday I was driving and I, I had been recognizing it for a while. And I finally, I, I had to just be honest with God, Lord, this thing embarrasses me. And this is what I've been shuffling around for years. This, this embarrasses me. I'm embarrassed of this thing. And that's why I act the way I do. And I could see it for the first time clearly, something years old. This embarrasses my life. And I don't want to be embarrassed by it. But I could also see how that subtle background voice of embarrassment was adjusting how I did everything to try to constantly hide that thing that I was embarrassed of. It's exhausting. Yes, I was just driving around yesterday and thought, I am. That's what it is. And I just have to confess it. Lord, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. And when you live under constant embarrassment, everything you do, the heart's voice is always adjusting, trying to control and steer to mask your embarrassment. You can't live that way. You'll go crazy and treat everybody like a bag of trash. So you've got to be able to bring it up to the surface and say, Lord, here it is, help. He knew it was there all along. All right. Genesis 8, 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart. So the Lord has a heart and he says things in it. I will not. So here we see the volition, the will being flexed and expressed as a voice of the heart. God didn't say it audibly. He said it within himself. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every thing living as I have done. God has a heart and he says things in his heart. God is a spirit, but he has a heart because God is a spirit, but he has a mind. He has a will. He has emotions. This is how we're made in his image or one of the ways. His heart's voice revealed his will. I will not again curse the ground. When you live embarrassed, as I recognized I was, your heart is constantly saying, I do not want this. I do not want to be in this situation. I do not want. So you're constantly saying what you do and don't want based on that emotion of embarrassment. And I'm telling you, our heart has a voice. It's constantly saying something, and it becomes the background noise we don't even hear because we've been saying it for decades. For, for many Christians, it's probably based on insecurity or control or fear. And when you, we're not designed to live that way. We're not, we've got to recognize fear and insecurity, pinpoint it, and get it out. All right. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his say, upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Abraham, the father of our faith, had genuine questions in his heart. God says, you're going to have a son. And his heart says, not with his mouth, with his heart, is this possible? <laughs> is this even possible? But if you know your Bible, the next question should arise. Well, Sarah did the exact same thing and got in trouble. She laughed and doubted in her heart. So the difference is he resolved these doubts by bringing them to God. That's what kept him safe. He, he resolved them by bringing them to God and not hiding them. When you're religious and fearful like Sarah was, which we're about to read her story, you hide it trying to save face. And that will only get you rebuked and resisted by God. Abraham says identical. He, his behavior is identical to Sarah's. He laughs and says in his heart. He laughs at the promise of faith, and he says in his heart, is this possible? Sarah does the identical thing. She gets rebuked for it. But the difference is Abraham laughed and said in his heart, is it possible? And continued talking to God about the situation. 
And God didn't have to confront him because Abraham was honest about it. When God has to grab us by the ear and drag us out of our shame and out of our corner of hiding, we're in big trouble. He wants us to come to him and say, Lord, I heard what you were saying in the sermon or in the Bible time or in the prayer, and that's me. Help me. And the Lord will say, I knew it was you. That's why I had it said. That's also when it was said, I prodded you with my Holy Spirit. I've been prodding you for years, but you're like a little hermit crab. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into your little shell. You're going to go so deep you'll get stuck. And then everybody will say, what's that smell? That's the hermit crab rotting. Went too deep and got stuck. Genesis 18, 12. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Identical situation. Laughs, doubts, laughs, doubts, and she gets nailed for it because she wasn't honest. She tried to hide it, like, because the Lord says, Abraham, why did your wife laugh at me? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, No, you did. And you never see the Lord speak to her again the rest of the Bible. It's the last time the Lord speaks to her. Maybe he did, but we don't have a record of it. But it's really interesting. The last thing the Lord said to her was, you're a liar. So that ought to motivate us to be honest. I'm embarrassed. I'm scared. I'm ashamed. I regret. All right, fine. Get it up and out. Sarah's response to God's promise was identical to Abraham's, but she did not handle it the same way. Rather than bringing her doubt and reluctance to God as Abraham had, we might say fear, insecurity, regret, shame, she denied them and outwardly acted composed just as many Southern Christian women do. Well, I must have written that a couple of days ago because <laughs> it sure is preaching the same way this morning. <laughs> the heart's voice of pride. One of the easiest heart voices to detect is pride, but then again, that may be deceptive, a deceptive statement because they say of pride, it's like bad breath. Everybody knows you have it, but you. And pride has many forms. It isn't just the showman or the showboat. It's also not willing to get help. People who don't want to get help are prideful. I can do this on my own. I can do that. That's pride too. We don't have time to get into the nature of pride, but we'll just look at these verses on the harp. We all battle pride. It will affect everything we do. Psalm 10, 6 through 7. He, that is the wicked, hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Now, as soon as I read that, I think of the old Baptist hymn, I shall not be, I shall not be moved, which is also from the Bible. The statement's not the problem. The heart voice is the problem. You and I say, I shall not be moved because God because we're built upon the word. But when you say I should not be moved because my business is too big, because I'm too pretty, I'm too fancy, I'm too important, God will smite that thing down so fast. But notice the pride is an internal voice. I shall not be moved. It produces this air of hoidiness, haughty. The wicked heart has a voice of pride. What he says in his heart emboldens what he says with his mouth. So he said in his heart, I shall not be moved. But then his mouth says, it's full of cursing and deceit and fraud. And under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Why is his mouth that way? Because he believes it in his heart. You can't touch me. Therefore, I don't mind to be full of cursing and deceit and fraud. I don't mind to be full of mischief and vanity because I really believe I'm untouchable. 
When you and I fear God, we don't want to be full of deceit. We don't want to be full of fraud. By the way, the whole Christian Southern woman facade, that's a fraud. That's a fraud. Let's not be that way. God would much rather us come before him and say, Lord, I am a mess. I may pretty up real nice on a Sunday morning. I may fancy up, may have the nicest perfume and the prettiest makeup, but I am a mess. He would much rather have that. In fact, uh, I want to get off this and move on. But it's almost like fasting um, and then acting like you're fasting with your face so ugly. The Lord says, no, 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 no. Uh, we need to reverse this thing. It's real easy to be a mess and act like you're perfect. When the Lord says, I'd rather you have sackcloth and ashes because that's what I'm really seeing on the inside of you. Southerners, and we're all about honor, but it may be good just to come one day to church and let your outward appearance reflect truly what's going on in your soul. Not to dishonor the house of God, but to be honest for a change. Because you can dress up real pretty fancy with expensive, nice clothing, and really your soul looks like Walmart on a Saturday night at 2 a.m. Rollers in your hair, big old front butt hanging out of jammies that have stains all over them, slippers, and a t-shirt with cigarette burns. Some of our souls, that's what it looks like. Smelling like poverty. And yet we come to the house of God prettied up, dolled up. And thank God we do that. But... If you're going to dress up nice in the house of God, and we should, at least be able to say, Lord, this is to honor you, but you know inside I am falling apart. Inside I'm mean, I'm hateful, I'm spiteful, I'm miserable. I can't even put a finger on why I'm so miserable. Everything around me is miserable. I have the world at my fingertips, and yet I'm still miserable. At least, at least be honest with what's going on internally. All right, you got kind of shut down on me. Because you've been to Walmart Saturday night, 2 a.m. in this town. Romans 12, 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Pride begins by thinking thoughts of superiority about ourselves. Now, pride says it's everybody else's fault, not my own. Everybody else is why I'm miserable, not me. But pride begins by just thinking, I'm better, but I did a good job. There's nothing wrong with thinking you did a good job, but you stop it there. Otherwise, it gets down into your heart, and you begin to think you're supreme. And we've got to work really hard in this intellectual nation not to be prideful. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 that pride, excuse me, knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. So pride begins by what we're thinking. And the Bible says very strictly, don't think more highly of yourself than you should think. Don't, don't be a worm. Don't beat yourself up every day. But don't think more highly of yourself. Run with people better than you. It'll help keep you humble. Amen. When you're the best person you know, and I think some people believe that. When you're the best person you know, the fanciest, smartest, most good-looking, most educated, got your act together person you know, whew, in this town, that's not hard to do. But even in this town, there's a lot of people better than all of us. Pride begins by thinking thoughts of superiority about ourselves. These thoughts will produce a spiritual aroma called pride. If not cast down, they will begin to season our heart. When these thoughts arise from our heart, we have become prideful of heart. We don't want to get there. If you're already there, 
The second you can hear your heart begin to be prideful, you cast it down and you have to retrain the way you think. Whatever area you think you're so fancy in, go get around people better than you and be humbled quickly. Whatever area you think you're the best in, just get around folks smarter than you, more capable than you. If it's your musical ability, just Spotify. Spotify, the first five songs will be infinitely better than your ability. That's why they're on Spotify and you're not. Outside of God's kingdom, the only way, place you get to perform is a honky-tonk with jugs, banjos, and other things that screech and howl. <laughs> I think the honky-tonk was invented to make hillbillies feel important and to give them self-confidence. Isaiah 14, for thou hast said in thine heart, this is Satan, this is God speaking to Satan. You have said in your heart, I will. So what are we saying in our heart? What is it I will do? I will leave this town and never look back. You sure that's the will of God? I will pursue this career and get a doctorate. Are you sure that's the will of God? I will leave this church and never look back. Are you sure that's the will of God? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Notice, as I just momentarily did just then, every one of these I wills is an exaltation. Ascend, exalt, mount of the congregation, ascend, most high. Everything about Satan's I wills was a self-promotion, a self-superiority. And we make this point, the only sin I can find Satan ever committing is what he said in his heart right here. This was his destruction. Him and the war in the heavens doesn't take place to the revelation. When him and his, his stars are swept and thrown to the earth, that's in the revelation. That's still future tense. The stars of the heaven are still the principalities that are over the kingdoms of this earth. His curse was based on what he said in his heart. I will. Doesn't say he vocalized it. That's religion. Southern religion says, well, I didn't say it. You know, mama, mama taught me if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. I'm going to teach you, get it out of your heart. Because you can be just as wicked thinking it and being religiously polite, not saying it. We would all, that's why Southerners like Yankees. Because Yankees are just genuine. They just speak their mind. We Southerners, we perfume it up like a fat pig. Well, I don't say it. It's not polite. Well, your heart is impolite then because you're full of it. But you just politely don't say it. That's why we love Yankees because they come down here. They have no filter. They just shoot from the hip. And you're like, yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, I like you. I don't know why we don't like Yankees because they expose our religious hypocrisy and fraudulent behavior. Satan has a heart. He just doesn't have a heart for you. <laughs> and it says prideful, boastful things. Its voice demands what it wants to do. The heart, its heart's voice. Satan's heart is void of humility and servitude. He produces the same attitudes in his children. When Satan gets a hold of a human being and makes them his kid, he'll produce the same attitude, uh, a lack of servitude and a lack of humility. Just because God is our father doesn't mean he gets to parent us. 
Just because we've been born again of the Spirit of God and our, our spirit man cries, Abba, Father, doesn't mean we allow him to father us. We can tell by our attitudes whose kid we are. And it could be God is our father, but we have this evil stepdad called Satan that we allow to uh, influence us. And really, that's quite the shame to be born again and be more like the father of the world system. And the two attitudes that are satanic are pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness, being th thinking more highly of yourself than you ought and doing what you want to, when you want to, as you want to. Ezekiel 28.2, also dealing with Satan. Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus says the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas. That's a reference to humanity. Yet thou art a man and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Uh, we see here, your heart is lifted up because you continue to say this stuff in your heart. Quit saying prideful things in your heart. We've got to be able to tune into what we're saying. No matter how good your accomplishment is, go back, get with God, debrief with God and say, oh Lord, were you pleased with that? What can I do to make it better next time? Lord, that was a really awesome Bible study you let me host. What can I do better next time? Lord, that was a really awesome song service you had me lead. What can I do better next time? And get better. If we continue to think prideful thoughts, saying within ourselves declarations of grandeur, God will quickly resist us. And maybe if your life has gotten stagnant and, and you believe you serve God, and yet your life has gone stagnant, and it's like you've hit a wall. You've hit a wall in your marriage. You've hit a wall in your prosperity. You've hit a wall in your health. You've hit a wall in advancement. It's probably wise to fall back and see where even though your mouth is pleasing to the ears around you, your heart still is not pleasing to the God of heaven. Because he hears our heart way more than he hears our mouth. Remember he said, their mouth does glorify me, and with their mouth they draw near to me, but their heart is... So they weren't judged based on what they said with their mouth. They were judged on where their heart was. I've been teaching us as a church for going on 13 years about the heart, and we still struggle with this. Amen. But this, man, this is the Rosetta Stone right here. This cracks all languages. This cracks all problems we could ever face. If you could ever just hear your heart and hear what it burps up so that you could deal with it. Amen. Isaiah 47, 10, thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee, caused thee to turn away. That's what the Hebrew word means. Your wisdom and your knowledge can cause you to turn away. And you've said in your heart, I am and none else beside me. That is the epitome of pride. I am and none else beside me. The only reason you won't get help is because I am and there is none else beside me. That's the ultimate voice of pride. And it comes out of hearts, not even the mouth. By the way we live sometimes, God can see that our heart says, I am, and there is none else beside me. How we strut through Walmart, looking so fine, so dapper. I mean, who are you going to impress in this town? It's Cookville. Oh, no, no, I'm in Sparta. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if Cookville's the head of the region, Sparta's like the shoulder Ba this is speaking of Babylon. Babylon was guilty of this classic statement of pride. I am, and there is no one like me. Her judgment was soon coming. Zephaniah 2.15. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly. 
that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. Oh, this seems to be a common theme in the Bible. How is she become a desolation, a desolation, a place of beasts to lie down in? Everyone that passeth by her shall hiss and wag his hand. That's a cultural way of saying boo, hiss and wag their hand. This city, this was Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh made the same confession in her heart. I am, and there was no one like me. When our church was judged uh, 11 years ago, and we were walking through it, the Lord took me to this passage and said, this is your church. Your church says in its heart, we are, and there is no church as good as us. And I said, yep, I can smell it. Ooh, can I, can I be reassigned, sir? This, this is supposed to be an interim position. I've only been here two years. Can I go away? Can I leave? I don't want to be a part of this, but it comes out of our hearts. We could sing perfect songs, preach perfect doctrine, but this was our heart. I am, and there is none like me. It's a religious spirit, too. We are the best denomination. We're the closest to God. Not to pick on Catholics, I attended Mass this week because I wanted to see how they did service. I had been to a Mass in five years, and I was doing some research. And I found out that the Catholic Church changed the Ten Commandments. They dropped number three, which says, have no idols before me. And they split number 10, which is don't covet your wife or your, your neighbor's stuff or your neighbor's wife. And they make that nine and 10. So I was like, now why would you drop the whole idol commandment? Well, because they have idols, for one. But then I found a statement that they, they said, we, the Catholic Church, believe we and we alone have the right to decide doctrine. That's an old, 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 old statement. You know, about from a thousand years ago, old. But I thought... I am, and there is none beside me. Well, if your doctrine's wrong, O Catholic Church, with your communist pope, uh, I think you should humble yourself and stick with the scriptures. And don't omit the part that says, have no idols. Don't venerate concrete. <laughs> Amen. Nineveh made the same confession in her heart, I am, and there is no one like me. So have many Christians, churches, preachers, singers, athletes, academics, and entertainers, and Nineveh's judgment was soon coming. Did you know you can't visit Nineveh today? She gone. Obadiah 1.3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. That's where we can understand pride is like bad breath. Everybody knows you have it but you. I think sometimes we get self-conscious, and I, I watch us, we talk like this. You know how we do in our culture. We're talking to somebody, and then whoever you're talking to brings out a mitt and pops one, and you think, are they doing that because they can smell my breath, and they're hoping their breath doesn't smell like my breath? So then you politely say, could I have one of those so we can both be humble? If we can do that in our cultural interactions just over halitosis, I don't know why we can't do that in our heart with ego and opinion and as we interact with each other, say, I'm sorry, just judge me. Am I arrogant to you? I don't know why we can't do that if we'll happily interrupt a conversation to pop a tic-tac or some gum so that we don't offend a stranger. Now, do you hear the, the lunacy of our culture? We're more concerned about not offending a stranger with bad breath, which we may or may not have, but we could care less about our God. Because I am, and there is no one beside me. But it's a voice of the heart. And just like it wasn't until yesterday till I could recognize one of the voices of my heart was, this thing in my life, I'm embarrassed of. And I said, Lord, I see it, but I don't want to be embarrassed. 
Deliver me from the embarrassment of it. Why am I worried about what everybody thinks about that? Why am I, why is that, why am I allowing that to steer so many of my little decisions? Because I'm worried about what everybody's going to think. And they may not think anything. So now, Lord, I sound a little crazy. I'm already assuming they're going to think what I think they think, but they may not think it. And here I am making these little unknown decisions based on embarrassment. That's how desperately wicked and incurably sick our heart is. And it's not freedom. It's not liberty. It's restraint, or I should say constraint, because it's forcing me to do stuff I wouldn't do if I wasn't bound by that embarrassment. The pride of thy heart has deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that says in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? This was the people of Edom who dwelt in in, uh, fortifications and rock walls. And they thought, there's no army that can come against us. We don't need God. The people of Edom fell into the same trap of pride. They thought themselves secure. Her judgment was coming. But all of it was a voice of the heart, a voice of the heart, a voice of the heart. Revelation 18, 7. How much she, Babylon, the whore city, hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. I don't think I want to live deliciously in these last days. I don't want to have my rewards now. I don't want to live. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be so prideful as to think I deserve to live top of the food chain in the day that we're in. It grieves me to think uh, we have brothers and sisters around the world starving to death, selling children into slavery that they might feed the other three children, and we are living deliciously. Amen. I think you get to a place where you say, Lord, that's pretty blessed. The rest of the money you give me, let me pump it overseas and win the world for Christ. Remember what Abraham told the rich, uh, the, the rich man? In your lifetime, you fared sumptuously. I don't want that to be me. I'm not against prosperity, but I, want, uh, I don't want to be a money hog or um, this person who just wants to pursue deliciousness. She's lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. For she says in her heart, I sit a queen, and I am no widow, and I shall see no sorrow. Pretty prideful. A whole city. If a whole church can say it, and a whole city can say it, and a whole nation can say it, you better believe you and I can say it. Here we see a whole city personified as a whore. This future city system will have a heart of pride. The future Babylon will just be like Babylon and Nineveh of old, prideful her judgment will soon come. All right, the heart's voice of humility. We've got to balance it out because there's the prideful heart that fancies itself all hoity-toity and, and just so super fly and super gorgeous and super good. And uh, then there's the humble heart that God hears and promotes and shows up for on a regular basis. Ideally, we want to train our hearts so that they respond to God and his word in the affirmative. This will make us a servant and keep us humble. David said in the 27th Psalm, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said unto you, Your face, Lord, will I seek. When the commandment of God goes forth, you've got to be able to hear what your heart says. Now, here's, here's maybe why I have such insight into this, is that as pastoring you guys for so long, I know how to say something and make half of you shut down on me. And you didn't say anything with your mouth. 
your heart said something, and that heart saying something affected the atmosphere and the exchange that was taking place between the seats and the pulpit. And if I can feel it, little old God created me, then I know God feels it. Because what you did was pushed against God. If the statement I said was the word of God inspired by the spirit of God, and you said, mm, you didn't grieve me. You frustrated God because he was trying to communicate something. That's how powerful the voice of your heart is. We came through the word of faith and the power of positive confession. We thought it was all about mouth, 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 and we got religious with it. We, we whitewashed our sepulcher without dealing with the dead men's bones. So when the Lord speaks to you, do you say, Lord, yes. Or, or like the noble Bereans, Lord, I've never heard this before. Let me go home and study it. Instead of just saying, all right, I don't agree. I don't care. Give me five verses why you don't agree and then show me how it's benefited your life. <laughs> Our heart's initial response to biblical commands will reveal a lot of what's going on within us. We must learn to hear our internal reactions to God's commandments. Here's the easiest way to do this. If you don't have a clue what I talk about when I say learn to listen to the heart, your heart's voice or your voice, uh, the heart of your, the voice of your heart. Offense. Offense is the voice of your heart. And we all recognize when we're offended. So listen to when you get offended in the next sermon and just write it down. Journal it if you want to. He said this, this is how I felt. And that's how you can begin to hone in on the voice of your heart. And it'll reveal a lot about what's important to you. And you may need to change what's important to you. All right, Ecclesiastes 2.15. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I even then wise? Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity. Any prolonged frustration will eventually begin to affect the heart. Here's Solomon. He spent half of his life being full of wisdom, honoring God, building a great temple, a great palace complex, having great wealth, great uh, diplomatic notoriety and fame. And then he realizes that the fool's going to die just like he's going to die. And that bugged Solomon. And he's beginning to ruminate in his heart. He says, what's the point of then? Why did I have all this wisdom if he, me and the pagan are going to die alike? Do you see the frustration? It's beginning to affect his heart. Any prolonged frustration will eventually begin to affect the heart. After a season of distress, Solomon's heart began to foolishly question the purpose of possessing wisdom. When you're asking dumb questions like this, you're letting dumb thoughts get into your heart. Ecclesiastes 3, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Amazingly, Solomon can recognize what he was saying in his heart. That's what I take away from this. He could see and write down, I keep saying things in my heart. This is what I said in my heart. Then I said this in my heart. Then I said this in my heart. Then I was arguing with God in my heart. This is amazing because he's not even born again. We ought to be able to recognize what our heart is saying. And one of the loudest voices is always going to be that voice of disagreement. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Well, also hear what you say about the person at the gas station. Hear what your heart says. Why, why did you find that dirty joke funny? You're laughing at something. Is your heart answering it? Because there are some jokes we'd all laugh at, and there's other jokes that would make us sick at our stomach. And they're all classified as jokes. Amen. 
Luke 12, 45. But and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord will come when he's not expecting. The voice of the heart usually precedes action. That servant began to think and say in his heart, my master delays, my master delays. He's been thinking for a long time. It's been a couple months. What's the point of keeping all the rules? God hasn't come back yet. Let's loosen up some things around here. Let's abuse God's other servants. Whatever our heart begins to say, we'll eventually act on. Out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. You, you will begin to do something. Very rarely do we do something on reflex, and we don't even know why we did it. You can't use that excuse. I, I don't know where that came from. Most of what we do, we do because our heart's been meditating on it over and over and over again. The heart thinks, plots, plans, and schemes until it finally springs into action. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. So a lifestyle, reap a destiny. Our destinies begin with what we think in our heart. So the heart's voice of faith, and this is what I want to get into real quick. This is the most important aspect of the heart's voice. The voice of our heart is the voice of faith. Unfortunately, not everything our heart says pleases God. That is why we must purify, purify our hearts and hear it, digest it, and correct it. Psalm 53, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, but that's his faith. When the heart says something, that is belief vocalized. There is no God, corrupt are they, and have done abominable inequity. There is none that doeth good. There is no God is the atheist's faith confession, but it began in his heart. This is an example of faith being demonstrated by the heart's voice. What we say in our heart is the verbalization of what we believe. I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I don't agree with that. That church is a cult. They're just so controlling. That's your faith. Or how about the man in Acts 14, Paul perceiving he had faith to be healed. If he'll just speak the word, I'll get up. If he'll just speak the word, I'll get up. If he'll just speak the word, I'll get up. Faith, faith in your heart is your heart saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Our heart internally declares what we truly believe. Faith is readily heard in the voice of our heart, not the knowledge of our intellect. And this is where we deceive ourselves. Because we know doctrine, we think we believe it. That is why 1 John says we both know and believe the love of God. You and I, in this well-taught church with a lot of educated people, we've got to really judge and see what it is that's intellectualism and what it is that is genuine faith. When it's just intellectualism, you'll automatically default to religion. Intellectualism knows I should act this way. Intellectualism knows I shouldn't act that way. Intellectualism knows I shouldn't say that. Intellectualism says, if, if I act this way, my culture will reject me. Therefore, I'm going to put on pretty. I'm going to play pretty. And that's religion. So we have to cut through all that malarkey and see what does our heart really say. And also be able to know, have I really given up in my heart? I, I've told you I was with a man in the emergency room. And I knew he wanted to die. I knew his faith was to die. He was done. His confession had been, I want to die. And when the doctor came in and says, do you want a DNR? Do not resuscitate. He said, no, no, I want to live. And I thought, no, you don't. No, that's the right answer, but it's not the honest answer. You don't want to live. But you can't say, I want to die because it's not the right answer. And he was dead in a few days. We got to recognize what we're saying in our heart because it's affecting everything.
Your spouse is not your problem. You are your problem. So you fix your heart. Amen. This is an example of faith being demonstrated by the heart's voice. We need to recognize between what our heart says and what our intellect says. Matthew 9, 20. And behold, a woman who was, which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of the garment, for she said within herself, she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. Here we see the heart's voice is a manifestation of faith. Faith doesn't just manifest as the confessions of mouth. It begins as the confession of our heart. Her faith said within herself. Romans 10. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. The first thing that the righteousness of faith says is, Say not in your heart. So we judge our faith by what we're saying in our heart. What our heart says is just as critical as what our mouth says. Romans 10.10, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Faith is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. It's not of the spirit. Faith is not of the spirit. Faith is a spirit, but faith is of the heart. For with the heart, man believes. And your heart is what you think and keep thinking, want and keep wanting, emote and keep emoting. And if you can affect what you think, want and emote, you can affect your faith. That's why unforgiveness will negate your faith because unforgiveness is hatred and lack of control in your heart. Faith works by love because love is doing the word of God in your heart. And therefore, faith is activated. Faith is the voice of the heart. Faith is of the heart. And our heart is what we think and keep thinking. Our heart is what we want and keep wanting. Our heart is what we emote and keep emoting. Our heart has a voice. And that voice declares our thoughts, our wants, and our emotions. The voice is also the manifestation of our faith. It is the voice of faith in the spirit realm. What your heart says affects the spirit realm around you. It puts off an aroma, an aurora, a spirit. When you're consumed of lust and all you do is think on pornography and sex and perversion, you'll walk in and we'll be able to see it on you without saying a single thing in your mouth. They'll say, hey, she has a lustful spirit because it's consuming her heart. No demon necessary yet. All propaganda or biblical theology endeavors to convince a person's heart to agree with the doctrine in question. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? That's why we regulate and we're careful how propaganda is being used against us. The heart's voice will either agree and confess that belief or else reject it. You'll either agree with what your professor is telling you or trying to indoctrinate you with or you'll reject it. You'll either agree with what the preacher is trying to convince you of or you'll reject it. The heart's voice is also called the conscience. We don't all have an equal conscience in here because we don't all have an equal heart. We all would laugh at a different joke differently or the same joke differently. We all view church attendance differently. We all view submission differently. We all view promotion differently. We all view our marriage differently. And it's all a response of our heart. Faith and by default our conscience is adjusted and developed and grown by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So what does your heart say about Jesus? What does it say about forgiveness, holiness, healing, tongues, the rapture? I could teach this church this morning an hour and a half on tongues, and you guys would love it. Praise God, it's good preaching. And I could go to another church across town, and they would want to stone me within the first five minutes. And they're born again too. And it's all a work of the heart. What's your 
And we don't even have the same doctrine here on church attendance. Some of you guys are lame and you're in Sunday school. What about tithing? May God help us to hear and adjust the voice of our hearts. Amen.